The Bible is a book full of unsolved mysteries. Are you looking to finally make sense of it all? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Winston Churchill once said, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, or our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is the subject matter today? Well, Rick, our question is, do tithes and offerings belong in Christianity? And our theme text is found in Numbers chapter 18, verse 20. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor own any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. Okay, so today it's about tithes and offerings and their role or their lack thereof in Christianity. So I guess we have to get started with this. What is the business of Christianity? Are we here to do, what are we here to do and how is it supposed to be accomplished? So let's cut through the rhetoric and let's ask the question. What does it monetarily cost to follow Jesus? Is it 10% of your income? Is it more? How much of our Christian message and method and motivation is based on, or should be based on, our churches and our pastors' financial statements? As with any issue regarding Christian belief, there are countless ways that we can interpret this answer. When Israel was established by God as his chosen nation, there was a definitive system put in place that actually supported the priesthood and the tribe of Levi. With such a clear path of tithes and support in place, many Christians believe that we as Jesus' disciples should follow that same path. And, you know, at face value, you look at that and say, well, yeah, that does, that, that could make sense. On the other hand, many Christians believe that an entirely opposite approach is more appropriate. So bottom line, who's right? How do you figure it out? What do you do with it? We're talking about tithes and offerings. Uh, do they belong in Christianity? And Jonathan, coming up, in this podcast today. When we look at the givers and the receivers of tithes in the Old Testament, it can seem like Moses' counterpart Aaron really hits pay dirt. I mean, it's like, whoo-hoo, wish I was Aaron. God says that Aaron and his family are going to receive lots of gifts from lots of people. And it's like, wow, okay, you know, I'll line up for that. So we'll, we're going to talk about that. Further, is, is the Christian ministry today supposed to be in line for the same kinds of gifts? We will clearly answer and delve into this really important question. Further, how often did Jesus speak about tithing to his followers? We looked it up, and we actually have the answer for you. How about the apostles? What did they instruct the body of Christ to do regarding the giving of tithes? We looked it up, and we have the answer. And the answer is actually kind of amazing. But first, to get this whole thing started, where does tithing start? Believe it or not, the original tithing in the Bible was not part of Jewish law at all. Okay, Rick. Uh, so where did tithing come from, and how did it originally work? 
And you're saying it wasn't part of the Jewish law? Well, tithing became part of the Jewish law, but that's not where it started. The original tithing event took place in Genesis, long before the Jewish law. Remember, Genesis, you know, you, you, you don't even have the nation of Israel at the end of Genesis. You have uh, um, the, the 12 sons of Israel, and you know, being ready to kind of move on, but you don't have a nation yet. So the original tithing event takes place in Genesis, and it was very, very different than the tithing of Israel. The context was a war between several kings, of which the king of Sodom was part of, in which Lot... Abram's nephew, now Abram, that was before Abraham's name was changed to Abraham, his name was Abram, his nephew Lot was captured. Abram responds by fighting for Lot's freedom and also recapturing Sodom's goods that were stolen in this war. So we're going to go to Genesis 14, verses 11 through 24, but we're just going to just touch on just a few verses and we'll try to fill in the gaps of the story. Jonathan, go ahead. He brought back all the goods and also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions, and also the women and the people. The king of Sodom went out to meet him, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He gave him a tenth of all. So the he who gave him was a tenth of all, was Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything that was recovered when he and his men went after those who had captured Lot. Okay, so we've got this war that happens. Uh, goods are lost. Abram actually recovers the goods for the land of Sodom. Now remember, Sodom and Gomorrah, remember those cities? Yeah, they weren't uh, very <laughs> good cities. They yeah. were immoral and uh, had a lot of... Uh, Worldliness. Yeah, can you say destruction? You know, I mean, you know, and that came a little bit later, but nevertheless, you have this thing happening in between. Now, let's jump to verses 21 to 20 to 23 of uh, Genesis 14 on this tithing issue. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal throng of anything that is yours. So it's interesting. The king of Sodom at this point seems like he's got his head on kind of straight because he's being very just and honest. He's being very grateful that Abram rescued their stuff. And, and so, their people. Right. And so and so the king of Sodom basically says, look, um, you know, just give me back, just, just, you keep the stuff. As long as we get our people back, we're good. I mean, and that gives a sense of, wow, there's something to the guy. So let, let's go through some, some general observations and try to fill in the gaps on this particular story. And this is where tithing begins in the Bible, right here with Abram giving a tenth to Melchizedek. And Rick, the first point is very interesting. Abram's tithe was not from his goods, but the goods of Sodom that he won back in battle. So Abram, it doesn't cost him anything. No, not his own personal possessions, no. Right. So, you know, you, you got to ask yourself, um, you know, why does Abram give Melchizedek 10% of this stuff? I mean, wh what's the connection? Well, let's go to the next point. Melchizedek blessed Abram and gave credit for victory to God. And I think that's where it comes from. He knew that God overruled, and Melchizedek must have been around at that point, 
as God's representative. And he was showing how he was going to honor and respect the fact that God Almighty was behind this victory, and it wasn't he and his men. They were simply tools in the hands of God. I think that's really kind of powerful when you think about it. And his, his instinct is to give an offering of thanks, and he gives it to Melchizedek, who is a representative of God. What's next? Sodom's king offered all of the goods to Abram as just reward for the rescue of the people. And again, he seemed like he had his head in the right place. Give me my people back. Keep everything else. You deserve it. You did something. You went out of your way. You really helped us. We don't care. So that, you know, you get a sense that, wow, that, that, there's some goodness there. And there is. There, and there is. You know, it turns sour later, but it's, it's good there. Abram refused and gave all the rest back to its rightful owners. And, you know, that gives you a sense of why Abram became the father of this nation of Israel why Abram was so special, because he had this higher sense about things, and he wanted to be honoring God in every way possible. Look, this is long before the law, long before any of those things, but he had a sense for God and followed righteously what should have been done. I did it to rescue my nephew here. I don't, I don't want your stuff. That's not what this is about. And finally, what's the last one? This tithe was a one-time offering that cost Abram nothing of his own goods. Okay, one time only. We don't hear about it ever again until the Jewish law comes. Actually, there's something with Jacob. Uh, he gives a, a, offers 10% to, to God if he can get back to his homeland. We're not touching on that. But essentially, for, other than that, there's no other tithes mentioned uh, in Scripture until the law comes around. So here's the thing, Jonathan. Tithing and offerings in some Christian circles gets out of hand. We're going to discuss a little bit of the parts that get out way, way out of hand, but a lot more of the more mainstream idea of tithing and offerings in Christian churches and see, does that all belong together? Should the phrase tithing and offerings in a Christian church actually exist or should it not? Let's go to one of the, and the only really over-the-top example we're going to use. This is uh, Jesse uh, Duplantis. Uh, this was on CBS uh, just a few months ago, CBS News. Uh, he's a televangelist, and it's something about a jet. The meek may inherit the earth, but a bold preacher has his eye on the heavens, and he's asking his flock to get him there in style. Here's Tony DeCopel. I really believe that if Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. Think about that for a minute. He'd be in an airplane preaching the gospel all over the world. Televangelist Jesse Duplantis is hoping to take the word of Jesus to new heights with help from a $54 million private jet. I've owned three different jets in my life and I and used them and just burning them up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Duplantis runs a ministry and church outside New Orleans. In a video posted to his website last week, he asked his followers for help funding the aircraft. We're believing God for a brand new Falcon 7X so we can go anywhere in the world one stop. We were unable to reach Jesse Duplantis for comment and we don't know how much money he's raised so far. Jeff, in the video, he acknowledges that some people believe that preachers should not have private jets, but he believes in using every outlet. This would be his fourth fourth jet. Number four if he gets it. 54 million. All right. Tony, thank you. Okay. All right. A um, lot to say. I'm going to refrain on most of it. But, you know, here the thing that... the the, the, the There's several parts that, are, that really bothersome to me. 
you know, and the first part is he's very, very plain and simple and forthright about saying, look, I have owned, not not my church, but I have owned three private jets before this, and, you know, we used them all in the service of God, and now I need a fourth one. I need $54 million. Come on, folks, get get the money over to me so I can go around the world without a stop and, and preach the gospel. Something fundamentally off with this whole idea, fundamentally not sound. And you say, well, 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 shouldn't the gospel be preached throughout the world? And I say, amen, yes, it should. Yes, it should. $54 million jet? No, it shouldn't. No, it shouldn't. Okay, we'll get into why. Uh, Jonathan, did you want to... I, <laughs> your face looks red to me. I don't know. Are you... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Jesus wasn't going to walk the earth again, wasn't going to use transportation again. He came for a mission he gave his life as a sacrifice, and that was it. He, there's no need. And the gospel is being preached, and through the internet, through podcasts, uh, there's no need for something like this. It's sad. You know, and, and you think about it, back in the 1800s, the gospel began to be preached throughout the world simply because the printing press existed and the freedom to print Bibles in other languages was opened up. And in the 1800s, early 1800s, Bibles were printed in every known language at that time and distributed throughout the world. So don't tell me you need a $54 million jet. They did it before anybody had a car, and they did it really, really well. So, you know, it's a matter of the... the what's behind the gospel and the zeal of those individuals willing to do the hard, hard work. So the gospel has been, you're right, the gospel has been preached throughout the world and continues to be preached throughout the world. And a classic example, you know, you're at your house, I'm at my house, and yep. we, we have technology, and this goes all over the place. I just talked to a listener in New Zealand a couple of days ago. Nice. So, yeah, it goes around the world. It's really very, very cool. So, okay, let's get back to tithing now. Let's really focus in on this thing. Much later, Israel begins to, is being set up as God's chosen nation, and tithing is introduced. So let's get to the introduction of tithing, Leviticus 27, verses 30 to 33. Thus, all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. For every tenth part of herd or flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He is not to be concerned whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. So, Jonathan, there's this idea, this, this idea God announces that a tenth part of the land, of the seed and of the fruit and of the flocks, will be belong to God. When it comes to divvying up the flocks, there's a method that, that God tells them in here. What, what is he, how does he tell them to do it? It's the tenth that goes under the rod. What does that mean? Like if you had ten sheep going, going by, the tenth one, the last one, goes to the priesthood. So when they would bring them in to, to, to flock them, and it came time to offer that tithe, they would literally count every tenth sheep or every tenth of one of their oxen or whatever it was would be pulled out. That's right. It could be good or bad, lame or not. Uh, they just take the number 10. It could be the best sheep in the whole herd. It could. Or the whole flock. But, you know, so it didn't matter. And, and God was very specific. He says, don't exchange it. It could be good or bad. I just want you to do the tenth. So it's, it, there's an arbitrariness. There's not trying to, to, to take the worst or the best. 
and it's a simple process. So the tithes were to come from the land. This is really important. The land that God would give them, and those tithes would be considered holy before God. So that's the the essence of where the tithes came from. They came from the land, and that's what it says. Thus, in verse 30 again, thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or the fruit of the land, or the trees is holy, and then the flocks and so forth. So we're getting a sense a little bit. We're laying the groundwork for what tithing looked like. So what's our tithing takeaway for this segment? Well, Rick, the establishment of tithing was a holy recognition of God and his authority. See, now that's really important. It's a holy recognition of God and his authority. That's why tithes were put in place. That's what we saw Abraham give to Melchizedek. It was to recognize the holiness and authority of God and the overruling providence of God and the tithes of Israel to recognize the holiness and authority of God because he gives them this promise. He's going to be giving them this promised land in Leviticus and that's the way they're going to have to be working. So when we look at it, tithing was ultimately about putting your goods where your mouth is. It was physically honoring God. We now know why the tithes were ultimately given, but exactly how did they work? Who got what? We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time, then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. The tithes and offerings of the Old Testament were simple and objective, but often more complex in administration. What we need to look for is the bottom line regarding Israel in their giving and receiving of these gifts. As we focus on the details, and you know, you have to focus on details. As we focus on the details, we're going to find clarity and a basis for comparison to Christian giving. We need to compare the tithing of the Old Testament to Christian giving in the New Testament. Are they the same? Are they similar? Do we have authority to take the tithing from the old and bring it to the new? That's the big question. Okay, we've already given a hint as what our thinking is on this, I think. <laughs> but um, let, let's here, let, let's before we get further into our own perspective, let's go to um, this was taken from a YouTube video called Hard Questions. Why do pastors ask for money? And this is actually a panel of four pastors, four evangelical pastors uh, headed by a fifth pastor. And he's going to be asking, putting this question out to this panel. And during the rest of the uh, uh, uh podcast. We're going to be referring back to their answers and their conversation from these four different pastors on the idea of this particular question, which is, and let's just go to the soundbite and find out. So let's go right into the first question. Do pastors and churches always talk about money? Shouldn't that be a personal decision, they write? If I go, I'll give what I feel I have to give, like have capabilities to give. If I don't go, then I don't think I should be made to feel that I should still give. Kind of like, you know, it's kind of like attendance. If you come to the movie, you've got to pay for your ticket. So, so the big question they're going to they're be talking about is, okay, what's, what, what about this tithing thing? And look, if I don't show up to church, do I still owe the money? 
You know, that's part of it. You know, I, if I, did, I didn't go, I don't feel like I should have to give what's the pastor's response and reaction. There's four of them on this panel that are going to be answering that particular question as we go through the rest of the podcast today. So let's get back to Israel. Israel's first tithe and offering point is, and this is important, Aaron and his family were different than everybody else. They were different, and they were in a very different position. Remember, uh, you know, Moses did not go into the promised land, but Aaron did. His brother, yes. Uh, Numbers 18, verses 8 and 9. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, Now behold, I myself have given you charge of my offerings. Even all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, I have given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual allotment. This shall be yours from the most holy gifts reserved from the fire, every offering of theirs, even every grain offering and every sin offering and every guilt offering, which they shall render to me, shall be most holy for you and for your sons. So, Jonathan, let's translate this a little bit. God is telling Aaron, first of all, he says, I've given you charge of all the offerings that are being offered to me from all of the nation, all of the people of Israel. Even all the holy gifts, uh, they are, I'm giving them to you as, and he calls it a, in this translation, a perpetual allotment. So what does that mean? Uh, what, what, translate that. What does that mean? Aaron, how does this work? He's going to be receiving a lot of stuff, Rick. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah. He says, you know, the most holy gifts, uh, uh, every grain offering, every sin offering, every guilt offering, all of these offerings, and there were a lot of them. He says, you know, the, the food, the grain, the, 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 the animals and so forth are not going to waste. I'm giving them to you. So this can sound like, like you said, a real windfall for Aaron, like, hoo-hoo, I've served <laughs> God and I get a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. A lot of perks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's a good word to use there. A lot of perks. Jameson Fawcett and Brown gives a sort of a, 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 a scholarly perspective on this. Uh, and he says, a recapitulation is made in this passage of certain perks, we'll use that word, especially appropriated to the maintenance of the priests. They were part of the votive and the free will offerings, including both meat and bread and wine and oil and first fruits, which formed a large, a large and valuable item. So in other words, the priesthood received these things so they could live on them and they could have them. Okay, that's kind of an interesting thing. He's saying there was a windfall here of stuff that they got whenever offerings came around. So I mean, can, could they even use it all? It sounds like it's going to be quite, quite a, quite a lot. Yeah, quite a haul here, <laughs> you know. And, and 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 so look, if you look at Christian Christian tithing, you know the the practice of Christian tithing, you know you can see that. Hey, I'd like to be in that position of Aaron because I get you know, going to be able to get a lot of stuff, and that sounds pretty cool. But there's a catch, and there's always a catch. Because the way God works is in a very just and merciful way, not just for one or two, but for everyone. So what's the catch? What verse is it and what is it, Jonathan? Numbers 18, verse 20. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. Okay, so translate that for me as well, Jonathan. Well, Rick, Aaron and his family are therefore entirely dependent upon the people, and 
the stuff that they receive from them. Their ability for service was dependent upon the people supporting them. So they were to own nothing in terms of crops, in terms of herds or flocks, except for what they were given through all of these other things. Right. All right. So let's put that in perspective. You have you don't have the biggest house. You don't have the grandest uh, pasture land. You don't have any of that. What you have is what the people have given you because they have given it to God. And God says, this is how I'm taking care of you. So instead of being like, well, I get lots of stuff, it's like, oh, I hope the people make their offerings. <laughs> really? Hope we get dinner today. Yeah, because you know now you've got to be reliant on others. You don't, you're not supposed to plant crops. You're not supposed to harvest crops. You're not. Well, think how busy they're going to be with all the sacrifices, right? Right. right. And they that, don't have time. Right. And that's the point. The point was you don't have time for that stuff. They'll provide that. You bring, you be the bridge between the people and me. And it's a beautiful picture. So there's something that they have to give up to get into that wonderful, wonderful position. And you're right, Jonathan, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. So let's go back to our sound bites from hard questions. Why do pastors ask for money? And uh, the question again was, you know, about tithing and so forth. So here's the first pastor's first answer on that particular question. Pastor, all right, well, sir, I did a little research on this and, and I found a quote Jesus talked more about money. Sixteen of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. Matter of fact, one quote says he talked about more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. So, you know, I think if we look at his money as just a tool, and, and, but I made up my mind, I've been in the ministry 40 years, I made up my mind a long time ago, People already know what they want to give before they come, right. before they come to church. So I'm not going to make it a, a begrudging or twisting the arm. Hey, this is a time of worship. If you want to worship God with your giving, fine. If you don't, that's, that's as they say, that's on you. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, so, so some interesting things there. You know, first of all, let, let, let's comment a little bit about, you know, Jesus talked a lot about money. My, my response is, yeah. What does that prove? Honestly, because he didn't talk about giving money to him. He didn't talk about giving money to his followers. He talked about money and goods and things and work and harvest and, and, and um, abundance and all of that, because that's what they were concerned with in their everyday life. Jesus talked about how to live. He told stories about their everyday life so he could teach them spiritual things. He wasn't teaching them money management principles. Now, there was some of that in there, a little bit here or there, but not a lot. It was mostly managing your life on a God-honoring level. How do you do that? What decisions do you make? Any, any, any further on that, Jonathan? Uh, just the attitude in the end was just a little off. Um, so if you don't want to give, oh, that's on you. So I don't know. I, I just didn't like the way that that sounded. Well, and, and you make a very good point because the idea of, well, that's on you, that is, look, that's a condescending comment. Let's be blunt about it. You know, okay, so if you're not going to come, you're not going to give, ah, that's on you. 
In other words, you're going to suffer a consequence for that, and, and that's on you. I, I can't do anything more for you. That's on you. And you think, well, wait, wait, wait. Is it that simple? Is, is our Christian worship and, and our, our focus, is it that simple? Dollars in, blessing out, no dollars in, that's on you? Again, we're, we're drawing a lot from one little comment, so we'll just have to follow this through, but is that the way it's supposed to be? I guess that's where we want to ask the, the, the big questions here. Okay, let, let's get back to the tithing uh, of the Old Testament. Now, you know, we have seen so far that Aaron is and his family in a very different position. Now, you've got the sons of Levi. Remember the tribe of Levi. They were a very different kind of tribe. We're going to read from Numbers uh, 18, 21 through 29. And Jonathan, I didn't tell you this before, but stop right after verse 22, just for a brief moment. Okay. To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service of the tent of meeting. The sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of meeting or they will bear sin and die. So now, you know, it says the sons of Israel won't come near the tent of meeting again. In other words, they were before. But remember, after the Passover and they were delivered from Egypt and they established themselves as a nation, the firstborn were sacred to God. And then God said, I want the firstborn to all be ransomed, to be paid for by the tribe of Levi. So the tribe of Levi became the representatives of the firstborn. The firstborn then got to be like everybody else, and the tribe of Levi was set aside to do all of the spiritual work. And like you said with Aaron, there was a lot of it. Okay, oh, yeah. There's all rituals. the sacrifices, uh, just, just setting up and tearing down the tabernacle in the wilderness. Cleaning this, moving that, setting oh, yeah. this up, taking that down. You're right. It was constant, constant effort. So he's saying the tribe of Levi, they're going to be different. So we're going to support them with a tithe. That's where tithing, as we know it, comes into play. Now, verses, uh, verse 23 and 24. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the sons of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. Okay, so they're stuck like Aaron. You get the tenth, but you have no inheritance. And Jonathan, that means land too. That's right. So you've got nothing except what the people give you, and you are going to spend your days doing the work of God as the tribe that puts in place the go-between so the priesthood can do their work. So there was a lot of spirituality in Israel, okay? Adam Clark lays out some really interesting details on what it meant to be a Levite in terms of the practicality of all of this. So, Jonathan, there's, there's four points that he goes through. Just, let's just, just touch on those. First, the Levites had the tenth of all the productions of the land. Okay, that's the tithe. Go ahead. Second, they had 48 cities, each forming a square of 4,000 cubits. Okay, which is not that big a, a space. Go ahead. Third, they had 2,000 cubits of ground round each city. Total of the land they possessed, 53,000 acres. Okay, so the, so he's giving you an idea. Here's what they possessed, 53,000 acres. Say, wow, that sounds like a lot. Well, let's continue. Fourth, they had the first fruits and certain parts of all the animals killed in the land. Okay, so this is what they had in terms of land to work with. 
This is what they had in terms of cities to live in. They were given a tenth of all of the, the, the produce of the land and so forth from Israel. So for the Levites, it was not just about the receiving of goods. Here is now what's required of the Levites as they do their work, as they are doing the work of God, they had a very special requirement that is very similar but distinctly different than the rest of the people, and that's in verses 25 through 29. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the sons of Israel the tithe which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to the Lord a tithe of the tithe. Out of all your gifts, you shall present every offering due to the Lord from all the best of them, the sacred part from them. So, Jonathan, they had to give a tenth of what they received. But what's the big difference between the tenth that they had to give versus the tenth that the average person had to give? Well, Rick, they had to pick the best of the best of what they received to honor the Lord with. The, the people did not have to do that. Okay. So the people, it was an arbitrary one out of ten. That's right. For these guys, they had to look and say, that's the best lamb of them all. That goes to God. Yes. So it was giving the best of the best. Okay, so there's an extra requirement, and let's figure out mathematically how much land and so forth they had to work with. Let's go back to Adam Clark. Canaan contained about 11,264,000 acres. Therefore, the portion possessed by the Levites was rather less than 1 to 212. For 11,264,000 divided by 53,000 equals less than one half of a percent. Small proportion for a whole tribe that had consented to annihilate its political existence that it might wait upon and serve the Lord. So let's put this in in order, okay? You know, less than one half of one percent. You know, and and you think about that and you're thinking, okay, so one percent, if if um Jonathan, if you have you're you're in one of the regular tribes and you have a hundred acres to work with, one mm-hmm. percent of a hundred is one acre. That's right. One half of 1% is a half an acre. Yes. So you see how tiny their provision was. So my, I imagine that what they had was probably kind of cramped. Mm. Their housing wasn't broad and expansive, but it was very humble and, 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 uh, and orderly because they didn't have space. They just didn't have a lot of space. They were supported, but it was through great humility that they were to accept that support because that's how God wanted them to be. So the receivers of the tithes had to give a tithe, and they didn't have a lot of space, and they owned nothing except the things that they were using. Pretty interesting. Yeah, those details are interesting. Puts a whole different light on tithing, doesn't it? It sure does. So what's our tithing takeaway for this segment? The Levites and Aaron's family had no land possession, relied on others for simple support, and the Levites gave the best 10% of the support they received away. All right. So that puts it in, like you said, a very different light. So being on the receiving end of tithes was originally not a glamorous or a wealth-producing thing at all. 
The Old Testament precedent is to support the priesthood. So, does the tithing As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side... Time to go in reverse with a CQ contradiction. So this is the really big question. And that question is, Jonathan, sorry I cut you off on that. Does tithing belong in Christianity? That is the big question. Determining whether tithing should be a Christian practice is dependent on several things. First, is the reason and method for tithing transferable? Second, If we do transfer it, are we taking into account all aspects of the practice, or are we being selective based on convenience? You know, and Jonathan, that's why we spent a few minutes going over those details that made the existence of the Levites look humble and simple and, frankly, cramped. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we want to transfer tithing into Christianity, is that the way we are receiving it? to those who would be represented to the tribe of Levi, humble and simple and cramped. Well, Rick, isn't the picture of no inheritance in the land for the Christian a heavenly reward and not an earthly kingdom promise? And see, that's it, it's exactly that, and that's why there's no inheritance in the land, because you don't belong in the land. You belong to God in heaven. And see, and I think that's one of the reasons that, that Christians get tithing wrong. And okay, you know, we, we don't believe in Christian tithing. They get tithing wrong because they're trying to create the kingdom of God here on earth before it's time for the kingdom of God to be on earth. They're supposed to be called to a heavenly calling. It's not about earth, it's about heaven. So that's why the Levites didn't have anything. That's why Aaron and his family didn't have anything. They were supported. So, again, let's just quickly review. Why tithe? Jonathan, why was the tithing in place? To support the priesthood. And why support them? They had no worldly inheritance. Simple, straightforward. They owned nothing. Let's keep that straight. Now, the question is, does that translate to Christianity today? If you're going to take tithing and drop it into your Christian uh, environment, do those who receive the tithes own stuff? Do they have big houses? Now, some may, some may not. But the question is, why? If you're going to do the tithing thing, why don't you follow it all the way through? Those are, those, to me, those are legitimate questions. Let's go back to hard questions. Why do pastors ask for money? You get the second pastor's point of view on answering this question about uh, tithing and the giving and receiving and, and the responsibility that they deem to be upon the church. So here, here's the thing. If you say, uh, I, I, I should be able to give what I am able to give. Fine, that, that's fine. But don't ever pray another time to God because obviously you got this game on lockdown. You don't need God. You are able and capable. You are the great you think you are. Um, but what we need is a great I am. And that is always by faith. We that's don't right. do according to what we think we can do, but by the faith we have. We don't give according to the way we think we have because, again, are, do you want faith or do you want your feelings? Because your feelings didn't go to the cross, but faith took Jesus to the cross so that you could have that to say, I believe God can do the impossible. Amen, yeah. brother. Time out. Time out. You know, th- that comment to me is, is way over the top. And, I, and frankly, Jonathan, I, I interpret that in, as insulting. 
You know, for those of us who say, I'm going to give according to my means, what he's saying is, oh, really? Then don't you ever pray again because you obviously got this on lockdown. You're obviously, you obviously know everything and you have no faith. You just got you. And that is the most ridiculous thing, the most ridiculous description of a Christian I've ever heard. A Christian is supposed to use that spirit of a sound mind in making choices and decisions to, to act in accordance with the will of God, with what God has provided to us. And we take what he has provided and we do the very, very best we can with it. And we don't, we don't do more than we've been given because that is not appropriate behavior. So uh, that one to me went over the, overboard, over, over the edge. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're discouraging prayer now. If you don't tithe, I, that makes zero sense. Yeah, yeah and, and that's a good point. It's, it's a discouragement of praying when you're trying to act, live within, within your means. It's saying that, well, you got no faith, so don't even bother to pray. And again, he's being sarcastic. I get it, okay? But the, the, the thought that comes through is the tithe is the big thing, the most important thing, and I just don't see it. Acts eleven twenty nine. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. So that scripture says absolutely that any of the disciples had means. That's exactly what we're talking about. That's the scriptural New Testament way of doing it. You know, so so what we should say is, well, that scripture is wrong. It should have said... They may have had little means, but they should have given more than they had because they would have shown faith. You know, it just doesn't make sense. The scriptures tell us to be clear about where we are in life so that we can make good choices. And Rick, isn't the context here, the Apostle Paul saw the need in Judea of the Christian or or the Jewish Jews in Judea. They were really hurting financially. They needed food. They were destitute. And he rallied the different ch- Gentile churches that say, hey, we've got to help our brethren. Whatever you can give, let's go. Right, right. And, and we're going to get back to that in a big way, and it's going to grow as this, as this program uh, goes through, because the bottom line is the big giving of Christianity should be to support those of our number who really do need it. And that's really what the Scriptures do tell us. So let's go back to the other question now. How did they tithe? Let's go back to Leviticus 27.30. This is simple. What is it, Jonathan? Thus all the tithe of the land and of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So what is that telling us? Rick, the tithes came from the land that God would give them and be considered holy before God. Okay, the tithes came from the land. This is important, and we keep saying this, and we're saying this for a reason. Next, how did they tithe question? You know, how do they tithe? Because tithes were products of their God-given land. What weren't tithes made up of? Rick, they were never money. Okay, this is important. Tithes were never monetary. Ever. Second Corinthians 31, 5 to, uh, Second Chronicles 31, 5 to 6. As soon as the order spread, the sons of Israel provided in abundance the first fruits of grain, new wine, oil, honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of all. The sons of Israel and Judah, who lived in the cities of Judah, also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep, and the tithe of sacred gifts, which were consecrated to the Lord their God, 
and placed them in heaps. So they brought the tithes in and they made big piles of all of these wonderful things, these wonderful, this wonderful giving from Israel, and it was all stuff. It was all tangible stuff that was directly related to the land. There wasn't a gold coin or a silver shekel in there anywhere. Well, Rick, it has been said that money was not in use then. You know, is that true? No, that is unequivocally untrue. Genesis 23, verses 15 to 16 is just an example from Genesis. Okay, so this is from long before Chronicles is written. And what does it say? Listen to me, my Lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So they had a monetary system long before Israel was established as a nation. So no, it wasn't about money. It was about the land. Why was it about the land? Because that's what God promised them. So think about this. It's a perfect picture. God says to Israel, I'm going to deliver you from slavery, and I'm going to bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And he does that. Now, of course, they rebel in between, and it takes them an extra 40 years, but we're not going to go there. Okay, but they get to this land, and God says, if you follow me when you're in this land, I will bless you in basket and in store, and I'm going to, this land is going to produce for you. Because you needed to live off of the land. And then he says, because this land is what I gave to you, I want you to give to me, to show honor, the 10%. Give, give that tithe 10% up front of what you get so that you can honor me, God. It's a perfect give and take. And if you don't have all the elements, the give and take thing kind of falls apart, doesn't it? It does. It does indeed. So does does the, the land part fit into Christianity today? Good question. It doesn't. How could it? Who, who shows up? Who shows up to church and ties, you know, you know, 55 ears of corn? Or a goat. Or, or a basket of tomatoes. We don't do that. Why? Because it's not about the land. Why isn't it about the land? That's what the tithes were about. And if you say, well... You know, this is the church. This is heavenly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wrong ballpark, people. Wrong ballpark. Let's go back to why do pastors ask for money? Hard questions. This is the, the next pastor's initial response to the tithing question. Amen. But I, I, putting myself in her shoes, I agree with her that offerings at churches can go way oh. too long. Oh, you're right. They, you're right. And, you're, and it's almost like instead of giving cheerfully, yeah. and I totally get this, they're giving out of compulsion yeah. because right. they're being primed uh-huh. and pumped. Uh-huh. And like my husband says, if people are going to come and give generously, they've already decided that before yeah. you get up there and go on with the, a 30-minute offering. And that's how <laughs> pastors get that, that all they do is talk about money. Okay. I mean, like, really, where God guides, he provides. And when he's, like, the people aren't our resource anyway, right? So we don't have to put the pressure on the people. We put the pressure on our God, who is faithful. But we teach with wisdom wisdom. the uh, the tithes and the offerings. Okay. So, you know, (laughs) 
you're looking very sarcastic right now there, brother. Ah, sorry, brother. <laughs> but, you know, what, you know, what she's saying is, you know, you, you can't beat the people down too much. You know, if you go on with this 30 minutes of, you know, you got to give, you got to give, you got to give, people are going to get tired. And I would say, yeah, I would imagine they would get tired. And, you know, she says, teach with wisdom the tithes and the offerings. And I challenge the statement because I challenge its basis. Because the basis of tithing was entirely different than what we're doing in some churches today. It was entirely different. And my question to that pastor is, teach with wisdom. What kind of house do you own and live in? And how much stuff do you have? And do you have a retirement plan that you've saved up? If you're living off the church, you really shouldn't. (laughs) Honestly and truly, you shouldn't. You shouldn't have a house. You should live in that little one-room apartment because that mirrors the way the Levites lived. And if you're going to do the tithing thing, you're going to be on the receiving end, shouldn't we be doing it the way they did it? Or are we just going to take the idea, because it's a nice, round, easy number, and say, that's a good way to support the church? See, Jonathan, to me, we've got to ask these hard questions. Now, here's the other problem with tithing, Jonathan, in, in Christianity. Okay? What is it? Well, um, there were other tithes on top of the other tithes given to the Levites for a total of three, Rick. Yeah, now you never hear about this other stuff. But So there's three different kinds of tithes. What are they? The first, the tithe given to support the Levites, and that's found in Numbers 18, verse 21. We've already discussed that. Right, okay, so that's the one we've already been talking about. So there's another, a second kind of tithe. What is that? Yes, the tithe to be used by the thither to be able to worship the Lord throughout the year. That's found in Deuteronomy 14, verse 23. Okay, t- the tithe to be used by the, the, the giver. In other, so it's, it's like you've got an emergency fund, okay? You know, and the emergency fund is so you can go and worship God wherever you need to go to worship God. So the money, the tithe, the goods are set aside so you can actually make the trip so you can be on top of worshiping God, okay? So it was a worship fund, not an emergency fund. It was a worship fund. We don't hear it pastor's talking about make sure you have your 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 own personal ability to go worship God where he needs to be worshiped. What's the third tithe? Well, the tithe once every 3 years and this is found in Deuteronomy 14:27 to 29, A, the Levites in your hometown, B, strangers in your hometown, C, fatherless or orphans in your hometown, and D, widows in your hometown. So there was another tithe that came up every three years, and it was taking care of strangers and fatherless and widows and the Levites that might be in your in your town to help support them. So it was about giving out of, out of your abundance, out of the blessing that God gives you, to help others specifically, fathers and uh, fatherless and widows and strangers. So there were three different tithes in Israel. We only hear about one. And Rick, wasn't one of the purposes of tithing, God was teaching his people generosity. Yes. And obviously we're seeing those that needed it, the strangers, the fatherless, the orphans, the widows. There was the purpose. Right. And and see, the, the beauty of this is God is teaching them generosity because he was generous to them. He gave them this beautiful land. He blessed the land. He says, now take the blessing that you have been given and share it with those that need it. It's just such a beautiful thing. And support those who help you to worship me. You know, this is God speaking. It's it's a great system in in the confines of where it belongs. All of these tithes were required by the same Levitical law, and all the tithes were land based. 
And the question, Jonathan, is does this fit into Christianity today? And it doesn't. No, it, 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 it simply doesn't. So we have to ask ourselves again, and all we've done, really, is we've gone through how tithing works in the Old Testament. We've barely touched the New Testament, and we've done that on purpose because you take the principles and say, okay, if you're going to translate them, translate them. But you cannot pick and choose. It's not for you to do that. What's the tithing takeaway for this segment? The true tithing template is not based on money, but the bounty of the land and cattle. It was given to the priests who had no earthly inheritance. Other tithes were for others in need. None of this translates to current Christian tithing principles. So we have the way it is now, and we have the way it was then. And there are the only similarity, I think, Jonathan, is in the word. It's in the word tithe. After that, the similarities completely cease. And we're asking the question very plainly, very straightforward, why? Why would we take an Old Testament ritual of the law and translate it into the New Testament if we're not going to translate all of the other pieces? Why do we just take the word and then make it be whatever it is we want to be and make it attached to faith and attached to all those other things? It doesn't make sense. So, Jonathan, when we look at this, uh, Christian tithing does not look anything like the biblical template of Jewish tithing. And that ends up being a real, real problem. In Malachi chapter 3, God promises to shower blessings when tithes are given. Does that not count for Christians? We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in combo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. If we're going to dismiss tithing from Christian practice, then we need to have an explanation for God's promise of great blessing based on the practice. As usual, we need to understand the context of the promise. And Jonathan, you know, context is one of my favorite words. It is indeed. (laughs) With that understanding of context comes understanding of the problem, and that is frankly very surprising. So in Malachi chapter 3, there is a great promise that God makes. And it sounds, it's, it's emotionally inspiring what he says. And it's a verse that many, many, many tithing churches hold on to and say, see, look what can happen. So, so let, let's read this promise and, and then we're going to figure out who it's made to. But it's the promise in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So now imagine taking that scripture in a Christian church and saying you believe that people need to give their 10%, and then of course there's the gifts and offerings and all other things, but, and, and you're telling them, look at what God says. If the full tithe is given to God, 
he will open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing that will overflow. It says you will be overwhelmed by the blessing of God. And the churches take that that, that premise and say, that's why you got to give. The scripture tells us that you, you won't get that overwhelming blessing unless you, get, you do your part in the giving. So what's the, it's, it's a simple equation. Yeah, ties in storehouse equal unlimited blessing. Okay, that's the, that's the equation. So, Jonathan, I just, I, sidelight, uh, this is way, way, way off script. You know, this is program number 1040, and, uh, you know, so it's program 1040. Okay. 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 This is an American thing. For those of you listening internationally, I'll explain this. Listen to this next soundbite, and then we'll get back to just the, sort of the. And that's it is a coincidence that this this uh, this is program number ten forty. Again, the next uh, uh, pastor in that. Why do pastors ask for money? Hard questions. Listen to his comment. And I, I like what she says. She goes, "I should give what I feel in my heart." Now, I believe the tithe. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like FICA. You know, that's your federal income tax. You know, that comes <laughs> off the top. Yeah. You know, oh, that I'm belongs to you. God. Your offering is totally up to you. Mm-hmm. What yeah. you choose to give is what you choose to give. But remember, your choices are free, but your consequences are not. You know, people mm-hmm. can choose what they want. You can choose to give. You can choose not to give. But the consequences of holding too much or giving the way that God tells you to, yeah, yeah, yeah. those consequences are already locked into your seed. So you have to determine in your own heart what is God purposed in your heart to give. Let every man give yeah. as he purposeth in his own heart, not grudgingly of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I believe that with each person, you should determine your heart. And if somebody, you know, a lot of times they said, there's 30 people out there that are called to give $1,000. If God ain't speaking to me, I ain't one of the 30. And that don't mean you're not going to get blessed. You still can be blessed as long as you're obedient to what the Spirit of the Lord says. But if you're one of the 30, you better step up, is is, is what I say. So if you're saying, okay, first of all, you tie, tie things like FICA, you know, federal income tax. And I just thought it was kind of interesting. That yeah, was good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just pure coincidence, nothing more than that, really. But, you know, the idea that that's the base requirement, just like we have to pay our taxes, what he's saying is your tithe, your 10% is the base requirement. And if you can't even get beyond the base requirement, you know, well, too bad. You know, I don't understand. You know, you, sure, you know, you can come, and, but it's not going to be really that good for you. Consequences and fear seems to be just pushed on the congregation. Yeah, you tell me one place where Jesus or an apostle said, spoke about consequences and fear for not contributing. You show me one place in the entire New Testament, one place. Let me give you a hint. It doesn't exist, Okay. It's not a scriptural principle. Shame on us for going down that particular road. So look, here's the thing. It's a wonderful promise in Malachi. And if we want to use these Malachi scriptures to try and extend necessary tithing to Christians, and many of us do, we shouldn't, but we do, then it's important to know who is being reprimanded. Because there's a reprimand here that went just before that promise. And God was mad, and he said, but if you do what you're supposed to, here's what will happen. So who are the ones causing trouble? Let's take a look, because here's the problem. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, and we're just going to take excerpt from that. And Jonathan, stop just before verse 8 for a moment. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. So time out. 
before the promise of wonderful abundance is given, the priesthood are the ones who got in the way of God's blessing. It wasn't the people, it was the priests. That's what it says right there. Now let's continue with verses, uh, uh, I think it's verse 8 and 9, or just verse 8, or 8 and 10. When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is this not wrong? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. This is, this is scathing. He says, you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals. That's wrong. He says, close the, one of you, just close the temple doors because you should not light useless fires on my altar. You are, you, are, you are demeaning this whole setup. So, Rick, the priesthood was manipulating the system for their personal gain, weren't they? Yes, because they were offering the crippled and diseased. And remember, in the priesthood's agreement, they had to offer the best of the best of the best. You got it. So they were. They were manipulating the system. God's not going to care which one we offer them. Besides, this one's going to give us more meat and better meat, so we'll, we'll keep it. No harm, no foul. Really? Really? And it shows you how a system can be misused. Makes you wonder, who's in charge here? You know? And, and, and again, we've got to take a look at this in relation to where we are in Christianity today. Let's go back to why do pastors ask for money? Hard questions. Uh, and, and again... Uh, back to, uh, they're, they're going kind of around the table, each, each taking turns with a, a second comment now. So let's listen. It's who are you listening to? So if there is a pastor that is going out that way, hey, you know what, that's between him and God. Right. I'm going to give right. between, between me and God. Now, you said something a minute ago, Pastor Amy, but uh, in, in this that are the pastors trusting God? Because... Mm-hmm. The fact is, is if I've got re- if I've got need for resources in my church, am I trusting God more than I'm trusting the people? I better be trusting God more than the people right. that are in them seats. The other side of this is there are greedy pastors out there mm-hmm. that have a focus more on the resources. You said something about uh, however many parables in the overall Bible. There are over two thousand three hundred and fifty references to money and possessions. Second only topic mm-hmm. referenced. To God Himself, wow. so there is a battle between what mm. wants to be God in right. our lives for the pastor and for the hearer. You know, and I, I would take that reasoning, you know, about all these 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 things in the scriptures about possessions and money and so forth. And remember, you think about it: when Israel was established, everything that was talked about was how do you use your possessions, how do you properly divide them and manage them and take care of them, and what belongs to God. So inevitably it had to be, because it was a handbook to live on this earth. So that's, and the New Testament, the Old Testament is a big, 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 big collection of a lot of things about earthly living. So this idea that, well, you know, talking about possessions, so it must be all spiritual, is nonsense. Here's the thing. The challenge is when we begin to take tithes in the Christian environment where they don't belong, and next segment we're really going to nail that down, um, what we're doing is we are mixing up the Old Testament with the New. The New Testament, Jonathan, is entirely spiritual. We've got to get out of this earthly stuff and start thinking spiritually. And again, Amen. If, if you're going to take it, if you're going to take the picture, then take it. I want to see the size of your house. I want to see what you own and what you don't own. And is it just like the Levites? Or, or have you just dis- discarded that part? You need to know. 
just need to know. If you're going to do that, perhaps we should know. There was a consequence. God was angry. Remember, he said, I am not happy with you guys. He was angry, and it was toward the priesthood in Malachi. So the consequence, Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And now this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. That's serious. Whenever God says, you have done a wrong that is big enough that your descendants are going to suffer, that's a big thing. And it was the priesthood primarily. I'm not saying the people were, were without any blame, but it was the priesthood primarily that was misusing a God-honoring system and they made it a man-honoring system. And I submit to you that what happens with tithing in Christianity today, it becomes a man-honoring system, not a God-honoring system. And when you look at the way Christianity was set up originally, it doesn't look anything like the tithing and offering setup that we have and, and, and all of those things. Again, we'll get to that in just moments. Malachi uh, chapter 2, now verses uh, 7 and 8. For the lips of the priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi. So he's, again, talking to the priests, the priesthood. He said, you've messed it up. This, to me, is powerful, because you're misusing what I told you to do. And I really believe that in, 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 in Christianity, the idea of bringing tithes and offerings in to Christianity is misusing what God has told us to do. There's got to be a similarity if you're going to use it. And there isn't. There just isn't. The only similarity is the word. Does this translate to Christianity today? Sadly, it does. Because I believe the priesthood ends up misusing this more often than not. And again, let's go back to Malachi 3.10, but let's start with verse 8. Because now you put the, with the problem with the promise. And then let's take a look at the New Testament in relation to that. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have I robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So now when we read that promise with the backdrop that the priesthood are the ones that messed it up, the priesthood were the ones that were manipulating the system, it has a whole different meaning. And it's saying, get the priesthood in order and do things correctly and you can receive a blessing. So tithe-believing Christians believe that the storehouse is the church. Okay, that's what they say. Bring, bring the tithes into the storehouse. That's into the church. That's into the church building. That's what it is. Is it? Is that what the church is? Let's look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28, because this, it's a simple principle, but we can't forget it. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So now he's talking about supporting one another, and, and you know, he's talking about spiritual support here as, as spiritual feeding. 
but he says to feed the church of God. Jonathan, what does that, what does that mean? Well, uh, it means the people, the flock. So, um, so the, this makes the Malachi text, um, they've Christianized it, haven't they? It, it's, they tried anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so it's, when you're feeding the church, you're not feeding a building. You're bringing the storehouse. You're being, bringing the food to the flock itself. The flock is the church. The, the followers of Christ. The building happens to be a shelter. That's all it is, because the bottom line, folks, honestly and truly understand this, unequivocally. The church exists wherever, and the scripture says, wherever two, two or three are gathered together in his name, there will he be also. That's the church. It can be in a home. It can be out in a field. It can be under a tree. It could be in a synagogue. It, you could be sitting in a mosque for all I care. Where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, two true believers, there he is. That's the church. It's not a building. And when we confuse that, we confuse the whole matter. How many buildings did Jesus and the apostles build in the New Testament? See, <laughs> that is such a powerful powerful point they didn't let's ask, let's, let's ask that question further how about the apostles how many buildings did the apostle paul build or the apostle peter how or how about james what did they build individuals to follow christ they built the church the people that's what they built they didn't build a building they built the people so when we try to christianize things that don't belong we get into trouble because the semantics don't even work. So um, what's our tithing takeaway for this segment? The challenge of tithe misuse was on the backs of the priesthood, not the people. Those who today quote these verses as motivation for people to give are seriously misquoting. See, because a lot of times when they quote these verses, they're saying, guys, you're not doing a good enough job. Well, the fact was the priesthood wasn't doing a good enough job. So don't blame the people when the priesthood was the ones falling down. And now you're saying bring it into the storehouse. Folks, we don't have a Christian storehouse. Our inheritance is not here. It's in heaven. In John, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He's saying your place isn't here, just like the Levites. You don't own anything, shouldn't own anything. You should not be about earthly things, just like the Levites. You should be about spiritual things, just like the Levites. We're supposed to be. has nothing to do with getting stuff. Nothing to do with that whatsoever. So, you know, it looks like this whole tithing thing has gone from bad to worse. We as Christians better be careful. The Old Testament is clear on tithing. What did Jesus and the apostles teach about Christian tithing? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly. But we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. So to understand the Jewish tithing process is eye-opening, for we see that Christianity does not actually and cannot honestly follow it. The only other place to go with this 
is to examine what Jesus directed his followers to do and what the apostles directed Christians to do after Pentecost. How did they direct them in relation to tithing? What was their instruction? Because if Jesus gave us instructions, we should follow it, right? Amen. If, if, if the apostles gave us instructions, we should follow it, right? Absolutely. Okay, so let's go to it. The following scripture is one of the few New Testament scriptures that's, that are used to support Christian tithing. These are the words of Jesus, Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 12. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So, there you go. Jesus is talking about a guy who's doing some tithing. Rick, isn't this a parable? Yes, it is. So what's a parable? A parable is a story, a made-up story. A story to prove to a point. A lesson. Right. And, so, and, and wasn't the point whose heart was in the right condition to be blessed of God? Yeah, and incidentally, was the guy giving the tithes, was his heart in the right condition? No. He wasn't. He was the guy with, he was the guy who was all proud. Now, were these Christians? No. And that's the big thing. They were not. Jesus used Jewish culture because he was talking to a Jewish audience and he was teaching them based on the Jewish law. So he used their culture, their law, their habits, what they did to teach them about how to rise above all of these other things. So he's just using Jewish culture. This, has, this is not promoting tithing. As a matter of fact, again, the guy who tithes in this parable is the guy with the bad attitude. It's the one who won't even look up to heaven, who's so humble and broken, and says, God, you know, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, he's the one who went away blessed. So it's interesting that the one who didn't, wasn't spoken of as contributing went away blessed. Think, yes, that think, is interesting, isn't think, it? Think about that for a moment here in, 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 the, in relation to this whole, this whole picture. Jesus only mentions tithing, I think, one other time. And again, it's in relation to the Pharisees, and it's not in a good position. And he says to them in this other scripture, you pay your tithes and you do this and that. Don't you know you're missing the weightier matters of the law? So Mercy. Right. So he's telling them, you're doing all the little ritualistic things, and you're missing the point. Again, what does that tell you? He wasn't talking to Christians. He wasn't talking to his followers. Let's go back to why do pastors ask for money? Another past, uh, pastor's response as we go through this. Chris, in the Gospels alone, it says uh, an amazing one out of every 10 verses deal directly with the subject of money, just in the Gospels alone. So there's something about it. And you know what? Practically speaking, it takes money to to build the church. Practically speaking, it takes money to build an organization. We're about God's business on earth. And I love the scripture from King David. Zeal for his house consumes me. Uh, what about like whenever he's he's giving it all over to his son Solomon and he yes. says, with all of my resources, I have provided for the house of my God. Like, let, let's mm. come to God's That's house good. with that kind of heart. My dad did the same thing as a mechanical engineer. He said, with all of my resources, I'm going to build God's house. And with that same passion, that's what we do. We don't we don't give because we have to. We give because we get to. You know, and, and I like that last phrase, 
We give because we get to, not because we have to. But really, if you're building the house of God, what are you supposed to be building according to the New Testament? Christ-likeness, inward character, the fruits of the Spirit. In the people. It's not putting up two-by-sixes for walls. Or bricks. That's not the building of God in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you've got a point. Because it was an earthly picture, an earthly environment. It was God dealing with people on earth. New Testament, you don't see one speck of building a house, literally, for the sake of Christianity. Well, wasn't um, the Apostle Paul a tent maker? And when he ran out of resources, he made tents so he wouldn't be a burden to the brethren? Yeah, he didn't want to take a nickel from anybody, anywhere, anytime, under any circumstance because he was about the work of God. <laughs> you know, He was about building the house of God, building the church, which is the people. Scriptural fact, Jonathan, really fascinating scriptural fact here. What is it? In the New Testament, tithe, tithes, and tithing are only mentioned by Jesus related to Jewish people and law and in Hebrews recounting the same, never mentioned anywhere else. Okay, so what you're saying is that in all of the writings of the apostles, tithing doesn't come up. No. Ever. No. Not once. No. Okay. But if it was if it was important, wouldn't it have been? You know, I would think so. And we'll, let's read the next scripture then let's expand that thinking a little bit because that that's an important question. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 3 to 5. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men and depraved mind and depraved of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. So, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And now, now let's think about this, Jonathan, because, you know, we were just talking before that verse that the apostles, the apostle Paul, you never, he doesn't say one word about tithing, not one word. Now think about this for a second. The apostle Paul was the apostle to... The Gentiles. The Gentiles. They had no Jewish background, correct? None. So all of these hordes of people coming into Christ would have no experience with Jewish law and Jewish tradition, correct? Exactly, nothing. And in places like Ephesus and Corinth and Antioch and all of these, these, these places in, in, in Rome, they don't know anything about that. So if tithing was a Christian principle, it would have been first and foremost in all of his teachings. Look, get this right. But instead, like you said earlier, it was about developing the understanding of truth and righteousness and godliness and mercy and Christ-likeness and sacrifice. That's what he wrote to them about. It wasn't about money. It was about them because they were the church that he was investing his time and effort into building. There's not a word in the epistles about tithing. Folks, if you're in a church that tithes, you've got to ask yourself, why is that so? Because the Apostle Paul says, I have not, 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 as I've, I've spoken to you every single thing I needed to tell you, and not one word. James one twenty seven. 
pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Again, that's exactly what you were saying before. There's a generosity factor and there's a spirituality, a sanctifying factor of keeping away from the dirt and the mess of the world. That's what Christianity is. It's not about this other stuff. Folks, we got to get that straight. Last time, going to hard questions, why do pastors ask for money? And um, again, you know, they're absolutely sold on, 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 on this perspective. I get it. That's what they're sold on. You know, I, I, they sound like they're, 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 uh, they're genuine in their belief of it. I just think it's just completely, completely off base. Let's just listen to this last one. But here's, as, as, as we close this segment, here's the truth. If you're in financial distress, it's because you're not managing the assets that That's God right. has given you. That's and right. one of the biggest ways the devil gets you into financial distress is by you holding on to your resources. Yeah. You're, you're, we used to say you're holding on to the seed. Perhaps. That's right. You're eating the seed. You're eating the seed. Yeah. You're not planting the seed in the garden of faith. And in the Garden of Faith, Pastor Jay, is where the re- return comes. Amen. Amen. And if you eat the seed, all that's left is the dung. <laughs> all that's left. I'm just being real. There's nothing left. But if you sow the seed, the harvest that's right. will come that's forth. Right. And that's it. But what you get, to, what you learn, and this is, uh, I'm doing much talking about. What you learn, the secret of giving and oh, receiving. Yeah. Once that becomes yeah. real to you, yeah. it's real to me. Crazy. It's yeah. real, real to me. Yeah. I know that I can't outgive God because God's proven it to me. That's right. Jonathan, there's several several issues for me, you know, with that. But the the main one is simple. They're talking about the seed, and they're translating it to be money. When Jesus talks about the seed, it's the word of God. You know, don't make it monetary when it's the holy, sacred word of God. The parable of the sower. Remember, the seed falls in different places, and, you know, different kinds of things happen. So the word, the gospel, the good news, that's what the seed is. The nerve of you taking the sacred good news of the gospel of salvation for all mankind and turning it into dollars and cents. The dollars, they don't make any sense, Jonathan. They just don't. It's they don't. just off. So... Let's talk about Christian giving in the New Testament. Give a little, get a little, give a lot, get a lot. That's a principle. No question about it. What and to whom, though? That's the question. What is it you're giving to whom? And what we find out is it's for the true church. It's not for the building. It's not for the project. It's for the people. 2 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 6 through 15. We'll take it in pieces. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has proposed in his heart, not grudging nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so this, Jonathan, this particular verse uh, about sowing sparingly and reaping sparingly and sowing bountifully, reaping bountifully— What's the context of this verse? What, you know, how, how do we put this in perspective? Well, Rick, this is about taking up a collection for destitute Christian, not about supporting some ministry. That's exactly right. It's about those of our number who are in need. And at that time, there was a serious issue in Jerusalem. Yes. The Christians in Jerusalem were suffering mightily because they didn't have the things they needed to just even survive. 
So the Apostle Paul, he doesn't go around saying you got to give your tithes. He goes around saying we need to give of our hearts because our brothers and sisters are literally starving and we need to help them. And he's basically saying, give, give your donations to me. I will carry it there. I, or I will give it to somebody to carry. It's not, I'm going to take 10% along the way. It's what, give, what you give is what I will give. That's what it was about. It was about supporting those in need. That's what the giving bountifully is all about. That's the context of the scripture. So don't misrepresent it and say, sow your seed, you know, sow your dollars and you'll get back blessing. No, 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 no. That's not a scriptural concept. It doesn't belong in the New Testament. I'm sorry. Verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So it's all about the poor and our support for those of our number in difficulty. And he's saying... Look, the giving may be tough for you. And, you know, he's, he's telling them that. He's, 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 he's encouraging those in Corinth to give, give really generously. And he's, he says, look, I know it might be difficult for you, but God will give you compensation. Not money, not vacation time. He will give you compensation. In other words, spiritual blessing as a result. He will give you spiritual growth and maturity that's what this is. And we know that because now in verses 10 and 11 of Second Corinthians 9, it starts to make more sense. Now he who sows seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Okay, now you look at this and you can say, aha, You'll be enriched in everything. So I do get something. Aha! You know, I knew there was a way that I could get something out of this. And folks, look, honestly and truly, if we're looking at Christianity with that kind of thinking, we're in the wrong religion. Christianity isn't about getting. It's about giving. It's about living, a, living like Jesus. When did Jesus ever say, what do I get? Never. When did the Apostle Paul say, give me? He didn't. How about Peter? Nope. Why would we? We shouldn't. We just shouldn't. So here's the result of giving, because it's not about human, physical, tangible things of enriching. Here's the result, verses, verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. So it's not just helping those physically in need who are literally starving, but it's overflowing. It's creating a wave of praise and thanksgiving. It's, it's, it's creating a wave of internal change that is looking up to God in honor and in glory and in thanks. And now the payoff to the givers is verses uh, 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 13 through 15. Because of the proof given by the ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer and on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So, Jonathan, a really unique thing about this is the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthians, give generously. 
And he's saying, yes, give till it hurts because they are starving and they really, really, really need you. And he's saying, here's your reward. They're going to know of you. They're going to know of the, your love for them. And he says, and, and get this, he says, and they're gonna, there's going to be prayers on your behalf. You don't get stuff. You get prayers. You get spiritual maturity. You get spiritual blessing. That's what comes from our giving. None of that other stuff. That's what this is about. So the reward is not money back. It's the provoking of praise, faithfulness, and fellowship. So Jonathan, our final tithing takeaway as we wrap this up. Christian giving and support is not in any way defined by tithing. It is a matter of the heart driven by the Spirit of God. Any support for any ministry is only to supply basic need for those in need. Okay, only to supply basic needs for those in need. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about being a, a minister and, and saying, I want to be a minister because, boy, I can be supported and it gets, looks pretty good and I can have a house and all that. No, that's not Christianity. If that's your brand of Christianity, folks, look again at the scriptures. Look at how the Old Testament reads. Look at how the New Testament reads and see the difference. It is plain if you're willing to see it. Tithing is an Old Testament wonderful thing. Giving from the heart is what belongs in the New Testament. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. It certainly has been an interesting subject. We're sure you've got some comments and so forth. But the bottom line is, do your giving from your heart. Think about it. Folks, look, we truly, truly love hearing from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, in Google Play, in Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, next week we talk about how do you bloom where you're planted? Some people think that came from the Bible. Actually, it didn't. It's an interesting concept to look at. How do we live our lives? Talk to you next week.